And I, I just want to open up a small topic this morning. Uh, I just want to talk about generational healing, something real little. Um, yeah, so we've been uh, we've been talking about healing um, and seeing the kingdom of heaven break in and, and signs and wonders. And, and this morning, I want to talk about generation issues a little bit. Um, and the reason we want to do that is because last week, if you remember, we sort of went over uh, John Wimber's old school five step vineyard prayer model and uh, I told you guys I don't like models except for my wife and she's the only model I really like but this one's a bit helpful for getting us aligned on on what it takes to sort of get our heads around how do we actually minister to someone okay sometimes we have something we have it in our hearts to do something but how do we do it in real life you know sometimes we can get thrown off and, and so John Wimber sort of outlined this classic this classic model in the vineyard, and it is, you know, you just before you pray for somebody, you might want to interview them and find out what they want prayer for. Where does it hurt? What's going on? And then you might want to ask some diagnostic questions. And the reason you might want to ask those questions is because you want to find out why they're in pain or why they're wanting to receive prayer. You'd want to know if you're going to pray for a knee if they just got hit in a football game and it's completely organic, or maybe there's something else going on. Because if you begin to pray for the sick or if you begin to pray for the hopeless very long, one of the first things you're going to realize after you pray for about three people is the things that are coming out of their mouth are not always the real issues. And it's not because they're deceitful people. It's just that because we, like human beings, are really complex, okay? We are some kind of weird, mished up, mashed up combination of spirit, soul, and body. And you can't tell where one part ends and one part begins. And because of that, the parts affect one another. You know what I'm saying? And so you might think it's a knee, but really it's a heart issue. It's affecting your body. One of the questions you remember I asked you last week is, where does your mind begin and your body start? Where does your mind end and your body start? That's the question I was asking. Yeah, no one knows that because we're so seamlessly crafted together that what, things that affect our mind will oftentimes eventually begin to affect our bodies because they're so interwoven. Yeah, and so uh, one of the things that I want to hit on this morning, the reason I want to talk about generational healing a little bit, is because oftentimes when a person comes to you in, in pain, any kind of pain, it can, it can be physical pain, it can be emotional pain, it can just be uh, completely hopeless, depressed, at the bottom of the bucket. Anybody ever been there? Hopeless, depressed, depressed, bottom of the bucket. One of the, one of the things that, after you ask a few diagnostic questions, one of the things that, that you may begin to realize is, wow, this isn't just about that person. This has been going on for a long time, and this is about like their mom and their dad and their granddaddy and their great-granddaddy and their grandmama, and she didn't just cook good cornbread, but she had some other things going on. <laughs> Any of y'all ever come from a family like that? You know? And one of the things we realize is, is that we're not simply a byproduct of our parents' DNA, but we're also a byproduct of the spiritual atmosphere that they created or didn't create. Okay? And so we want to take care of those issues. <clears throat> and the reason, and the way that we pick up, I just want to say that right now, the way that we pick up on generational issues is, is sometimes it's because of the things that the people are saying to you, you know? Well, how long you been like that? Well, I've been like this for a pretty good while. Anybody else in your family like that? Yeah, man, everybody in my family is like that. We're totally crazy. We're crazy as June bugs, every one of us. 
For how long? I don't even know. Like my grandma, she's totally nuts, you know. And then you can just kind of put the story together, right? But then other times it's not like that. It's way more subtle. And other times it requires actual discernment of the Spirit. It's an actual spiritual gift. They're telling you a story, but you're hearing something on one level, but you're also hearing it at another level. And the other level is telling you, Grandmama's crazy as a June bug. I'm just being funny, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So we're going to talk about generational issues. Um, we're going to talk about generational issues, generational curses, and generational failures. And uh, those things that have been perpetually passed on down through the family line. And really what we're talking about here is failure to thrive, you know? It's failure to thrive. That's what it really is. What does it mean to be cursed? It means, you know, we postmoderns, we don't like the word cursed. It, it seems too magical. It seems too much like Harry Potter. It feels like someone out there could be waving a magic stick at me, and the next thing I know is I'm, my life sucks, right? But the truth of the matter is, uh, at least scripturally speaking, uh, to be under a curse has more to do with failure to receive the Father's blessing than anything else. There's, and, and, and the blessing in the Scripture is always connected to favor. It's always connected to favor, and it's also always connected to uh, uh, it's always connected to favor in in, in in a way that we see like one father blessing his son, but not just the words he says, but the way that the family is administrated to see people succeed, you know? And when you don't get that, when there's an absence, when there's a vacuum, well, all kinds of stuff can go wrong. And so we want to look at some of that this morning. <clears throat> and the reason we want to look at it is really simple. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there is momentum in the generations. We occasionally talk about this. Something's really near to my heart. There is actual momentum in the generations. What does that mean? It means that there is exponential speed gravity force and power that gets passed on from one generation to the next and that happens in both a positive direction and also a negative direction how many of you guys have ever ran into an alcoholic whose daddy was an alcoholic whose granddaddy was an alcoholic that's called momentum in the generations and by the time you get to great grandson he's not just an alcoholic but he's crazy violent alcoholic Granddaddy was like, happy, drunk, stayed on the front porch, never went to work, right? Great-grandson, angry, drunk, beats people up. There's momentum in the generations. How many of you guys have ever been around families where it seems like they own, uh, like great-granddaddy was a success, only to see grandfather become more successful, only to see son become even more successful still? Anybody? See, it works in both directions. It works in both directions. How many of you have ever noticed that a lot of times uh, when, when a pastor becomes a pastor, his son becomes a what? And oftentimes is, oftentimes is a better pastor than his dad was. You know, we see this thing, these things happen in families. Like, there are whole families of pastors. How many of you have ever met families and everybody in the family is a doctor? Everybody. Why? Because there's, there's this generational momentum to heal. There's a... It's, it's compassion being worked out through the generations. And by the time you get to like great-granddaughter, great-grandson, uh, this compassion and ability to heal is not just something that's felt on the inside, but it's actually met up with an anointing to administrate, and they become more effective still. Have you noticed that? Yeah, so we're talking about this reality. And, and the reason I want to bring it up is, is because this is so important. Uh, what we don't oftentimes realize is, is that our choices today 
It's not just about today. And it's not even just about next month, but it's about the climates and the atmospheres that they create that have perpetual future realities hanging on them. It's a big deal. So patterns of success and patterns of failure can be passed on like DNA. And this is one of the reasons that all of our choices matter so much. See, life and time and years have a way of amplifying, oftentimes exponentially, the sin and the unregenerated parts of a person. And they actually become clearer and clearer over time. Or the good and redeemed and reformed and renewed parts of a person or a family. And they become refined. notebook that's not wanting to cooperate. Mm-hmm. One of the first times we see in the scripture where this, uh, this sort of concept is brought up is it's in the book of Exodus when the Lord gives his favorite people the Ten Commandments and he says in Exodus chapter 20 verse 2 you don't have to open up your Bibles there you can just listen because it's just just a little bit here uh, actually, we'll just, let's jump down to verse 4. This is the second commandment. The Lord says this. He says, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments couple things here before we break this wide open. Um, a word of caution. Number one, oftentimes when you have a, uh, once you get a hammer in your hand, everything looks like a nail. You heard that before? Once you get a, once you get a tool, once you get a hammer, everything's a nail, right? And, and, and that is especially true when we, when we begin to talk about things like um, generational failures. You get, you get a little tool in your pocket, and next thing you know, everything's a nail, you know? Everybody who's got a cough has got a generational curse on them. Everybody who, who can't walk straight needs you to whack them with your generational hammer, right? So, number one, let's don't be that. Let's don't be stupid, all right? And then the, the next thing I want you to see in this scripture is, because we're postmodern people, we, we don't like this whole concept of curse. We absolutely don't like judgment. We don't like correction. We don't like any of that. And it's clearly here in the scripture but what is the thing that's even bigger here in the scripture? The thing that's even bigger, the Lord says, you, you really shouldn't bow down or worship any kind of a false image because I'm jealous and I'll punish children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation who hate me. So what's God talking about there? Three and four generations roughly, right? But then he says this, he says, but I'll show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So anytime we're picking up our little tool here, what the thing that we have to keep in our minds most is that God really does prefer mercy over judgment. He really does. It's absolutely critical and key to understanding who he is. If you want to talk about any sort of thing when it comes to generational failures, apart from an experience of the love of God, you will get led into error, bottom line. So while the Lord is a God who judges, and why does he judge? He judges because he's good. That's why. If he's really good, and we hold that value really close here at the vineyard, 
that the Lord is good. He's absolutely good. He's, he's, he's the kind of good that even a three-year-old can understand. He's that good. But if he's really, really good, then he has to judge the enemies of his people, right? And we see it, I mean, it's in the Exodus story, right? They're slaves for 400 years. And because he's good, he comes to rescue. And when he comes to rescue, somebody gets hit in the head, right? Pharaoh. Because he's good, he has to judge. And so there's an element to knowing God that requires judgment. And we're going to unpack that just a little bit here in a minute. But the thing I want us to understand right off from the very beginning is that we have to have not just a head knowledge of, we have to have a heart experience with the God who is way more into love and mercy. It's not a joke. This is not a drill. (laughs) So number one thing, everything is not a nail when you have a hammer. Number two, God's love trumps everything. It's his preference. Preference. Speak for a living. It's his preference. Syllables matter. It's so much his preference. Like when you read the book of Jonah, you know why Jonah's so mad? He's mad and doesn't want to go because he knows who he knows how the Lord is. He he actually knows that if he shows up and and preaches a message of repentance to these God forsaken oppressors of Israel, that they'll they'll turn their hearts and God will forgive them. He won't. It's that it's that start this experience with the love of God. So number one, everything's not a nail. Number two, God's love trumps everything. And then number three, uh, God's love is just built into, uh, God's judgment is just built into the matrix. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. The good kind of life is life with God. There is no possible way to experience the good life apart from God. There's no possible way to experience the good life apart from God. His judgment is way more just built into the matrix than it is this image that most of us carry around about God. And it's the image that God sits in heaven. He watches everyone's life incredibly close. And as soon as you sin, as soon as your heart even begins to turn to sin, he kicks a piano out of heaven and he causes it to land on your head. And not only does it land on your head, but once it does crush you, he laughs about it, right? And we think that's the judgment of God. We think, we think that God is the kind of person who's looking for my faults, and as soon as he finds them, he's shoving pianos out of heaven at us. And when it hits us, he gets great joy about his own accuracy. You laugh, but we believe it. You laugh, but we believe it, right? We should just take a little moment right now. We think that's how he is. But here's the truth about judgment from the Lord. Here's the truth about third and fourth generation. It's way more just built into the matrix. And here's what I mean by that. If you leave God, the only possible thing that can happen to you is bad. Like, like the, only, the only way you can live the good kind of life is to be with God. Once, once you decide to leave Him in any direction, the only possible thing left when you leave goodness and i'm not talking about abstract goodness we're talking about absolute goodness what's left if you leave goodness badness it's really simple right it's really simple 
It's just sort of like built into the matrix. And a lot of us know this by experience as well. A, a lot of us have grown up in families where mom and dad divorced, right? God says, I love marriage. It's one of my first ideas is what God says. He makes people, he's like, they should be together. You know, this whole marriage thing, it's really great. It's hard, but it's really great. And when, when people decide to leave from God's plan, there's all sorts of ramifications. And do you know that when, when, a, when a father leaves a mother and leaves his wife, that that decision has ramifications not just for them in their own hearts, but it has ramifications for those children. Some of you grew up in that kind of a home. And it doesn't just have ramifications for those children, but it actually ends up having ramifications for those children's children and for those children's children's children. Does this sound like the Scripture? And see, it's just built into the matrix. If you leave me, if you decide to go your own way, don't be surprised if like really not great things happen. God didn't shove a piano out the window of heaven. You just ran underneath a piano waterfall. (laughs) Makes perfect sense to me. So judgment is often less about pianos falling out of the sky and it's more about our own choices to abandon God and to leave the good kind of life. You know, when Jesus says, hey, it's really not good, it's really not good for you to carry unforgiveness in your heart and you should forgive people, he's not saying that because he knows it's hard and we can't do it and it'll oppress us and make us feel terrible. He's saying that because it's the good kind of life and the only way that you can really enjoy life is to live free from bitterness and to have forgiveness operating in your life all the time. Like when, when, Jesus, when Jesus says, you know what, you guys have heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, you can't even have a lustful thought. You know, Jesus wasn't just turning up the heat because he knew that it would drive us all crazy because we're total sex addicts and we want to just get with every person we can find. And he wanted to oppress us some more. He wasn't telling us that to make it hard on us. He was telling us because he knows that the only good kind of life is when a man finds a woman, commits to her, and has as much sex as possible. Shaba. That's what the good kind of life is. And then when we begin to dilly-dally and divide sex apart from that one really great covenant relationship, one person forever, help me Jesus. When we do that, all kinds of stuff. Don't, it's no wonder things get crazy. Right? All right. So here's what he's saying. And, and Exodus 20 is kind of a special moment anyway because he's giving these, these Ten Commandments. They're sort of a big deal in the Scripture. It's sort of epic. There's Moses, giant beard. I'm working on mine right now. Glenn, I'm, Glenn, I'm coming for you, dog. <laughs> I'm not shaving it this time. I'm not. I got anointing from the Spirit to keep my beard this week. Because I normally get to this point and then shave it off because it itches, but I'm not. I'm going for the gold. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, Exodus 20, it's a big deal. Exodus 20 is a big deal because he's, cause he's, he's, he's basically forming a nation out of a bunch of slaves. And, and God comes to Moses and he says, I want to I marry, marry this people and bless the neighborhood. That's really what he's saying. How many of you know that a really great husband and wife can bless the whole neighborhood? You all ever experienced that? 
Like one great family blesses the whole neighborhood. That's what God was doing when he decided to marry the Hebrews. He was like, you guys are great. You're really beautiful to me. I want to marry you, and then we're going to bless the rest of the neighborhood. That's what we're going to do. And he says, but if we're going to get married, you need to know a few things. This is how you, this is how you can keep in step with me, and this is how we can make this thing work out. And it would be really great if you're going to be married to me if you wouldn't go and fall in love with other gods. Seems reasonable, right? So really what God's getting at here at the beginning is he's saying this to his chosen and special bride, and he's saying, if you forsake me, it could set into motion hardship that lasts generations. That's really what he's saying. And it's the same thing for you and I. Every time we, every time we leave God, it sets into motion hardship that could potentially last generations. See, his desire was, and still is, his desire was for those people, he, his desire was for them to be led by love. And he even reveals it in his own heart. He says, he says, I'm the kind of God who will bless people who love me for a thousand generations. You know? His desire was for his people to be led by love. But he did say this because if love isn't a big enough boundary for us, he did say that if you leave me, then you can be, le- you can be hemmed in by judgment. That's a really kind of hard word, but this is the way it looks. Um, and this is the reason judgment is such a big deal and is in some ways still a very central picture to the love of God. Because he says, I want you to be led by love. If that isn't enough, then we'll just hem this thing in by by judgment and by consequence, okay? God's a really big person. He'll let, he'll let you live out your life if you want to. And so this is what happens. Third and fourth generations. Judgment begins to kick in, and it becomes more and more clear through the passing generations because there's momentum of what life looks like apart from God. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so a whole people get to see played out viscerally in real life what it actually really, really looks like to leave God. You know? I'll just bring it back into real life for a few minutes. Say I go off and have an affair and leave my wife. That'd be, a, that'd be terrible. It would, it would absolutely crush her heart. It would forever change how my, my, my children think about me and most likely, apart from the Lord touching them, it would forever change how they think about marriage. Now I've got River, Seth, and Magnolia completely reevaluating what love, commitment, marriage, and honor is all about. Okay? For whatever reason, because the cultural waters we swim in still kind of values marriage, they all decide to go and get married. But my two sons, once they find something that looks a little more attractive to them, they decide, well, okay, you know, it was okay for dad, grass is always greener. They go ahead and have an affair and lose their marriages after they've got kids. And now they've got kids. Now we're a couple generations into this, and their kids grow up and just think, well, that's just what, that's just what men do, right? Just whatever's available. And you know what? Now... Marriage and family, it just doesn't make sense because it's, it's, too much of a, it's too much of a heartache and pain. So let's just forget that. Let's don't even get married. So three generations in, we're just like, marriage is pointless. Let's just, let's just shack up with whoever. And now, a couple generations in, we're like a really stark reality of what life apart from God looks like. So we just, it's just built into the system. 
And so we just end up with one generation after another living a little further from God's best and his plan. And so the stark realities begin to set in. And we've seen it with, with alcohol abuse. And the reason I'm talking in extremes is because I want to highlight the subtle realities that actually God lied. You know? We're talking in the most extreme stark terms right now because I want to highlight the, the, the realities that guide the subterranean movements in our own heart. Well, some of you might be thinking, well, Adam, are we talking about fatalism? Because sometimes this stuff gets taught and it ends up just being Christian fatalism, and I hate that. And I actually don't think it's in the Bible. What do I mean by fatalism? This thought. Does it mean that if my dad screwed up, that I'm definitely screwed up? No, I actually don't believe that. I believe that every one of us in here is still responsible for our own choices. But here's what ends up happening. Um, when our mother or our father or just the, someone in our family passed us, when they sin, there's always consequences tied to sin. Always. And that's for our own good, by the way. Because again, it, it reinforces that, that, there's, that there's a consequence when we leave the good kind of life. So if my father or my mother sins then there are consequences. Those consequences oftentimes end up being destructive. That destruction ends up changing the culture and the atmosphere in that family. Are you with me? When the culture and the atmosphere in that family gets changed, then the, the evitability of, of a child living in this malformed atmosphere, being able to choose or even know what is right and good, decreases. Do we see that? That child is still responsible for their own actions but a father and a mother can significantly alter what is even possible, what is even on the radar for those children. Everybody in here has experienced that. So my father's sins can produce consequences that change the spiritual atmosphere that I grow up in. The whole climate is moved, making certain possibilities more available, more likely, or less available and less likely. Personal choice still exists. And choices are really powerful. Uh, some, of the, some of the new study in like brains and stuff, uh, they're finding really amazing things out about how our body works. I was reading last year in the New York Times, uh, it was a study on pornography, both with women and men. And one of the really crazy things about pornography is when you look at pornographic images, it changes the brain chemistry in your head. This is really crazy. You, you can look at pornogra- pornographic images, syllables again, you can look at pornographic images one time and it changes the chemistry in your brain. There are chemicals and hormones that are released. They flash. They make you feel a certain way. All of a sudden, you don't feel as lonely. For a few brief moments, you feel empowered. You feel special. You feel great. There are endorphins that are released in that moment. And then all of a sudden, something really subtle and really, and in some ways, tragic has happened because now we have a brain chemistry that doesn't allow us to fully make certain choices easily. And it has opened up Pandora's box of choices to us that were less available even one moment before. Choices are a powerful thing. You see how this thing works? Now magnify that out into your family. Shrink it down into your own personal life. Magnet out. 
and back down and out again. Because it works in both directions. See, when my brain chemistry is all messed up, it makes me feel like certain choices for righteousness and holiness are actually less available to me. It may not be true, but it feels that way. Ooh. It's hard. <clears throat> so we're not talking about fatalism. Everybody in here is still responsible for their own choices. It's just that the atmospheres that we grow up in can have a play a powerful role in determining how we are even able and equipped to make choices. Our own choices are powerful because they actually end up changing brain chemistry. It's not fatalism. Some of us might also be thinking, well, Adam, hey, I'm saved. How can I still be cursed, right? I'm saved, you know. How can I be cursed? Or how can I be living in the midst of generational failure? It's not a bad thought. Because um, it really does say this in the New Testament. It says in Galatians 3.13, it says, why don't we put that up, please? 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 Yes. Thank you. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. That's kind of a new translation. Pole, I haven't read that before. Um, yes, it's really no joke. When, when Jesus was murdered on the cross, he really did die for sin, and he really did die for, for the curse of the fathers. He really, did, he really did take that up. And So you might be thinking, well, man, I'm saved. How can I still be cursed? Well, there's a couple issues, and they're actually really, really big issues. Uh, and the first issue is this, that most of us have only heard a really small gospel in our life. Okay? This is a really big deal. Most of us have only encountered, especially here in the South, we've only encountered a really small gospel. What's the small gospel? Well, the small gospel is this. Get saved because you don't want to go to hell, right? And so all of it, all of it, everything that Jesus did is about getting you saved so that you one day don't go to hell. One day. And it's future. It's always future tense. It's always far away. It's another time. It's another dimension. And it doesn't affect my personal body right now. It's about my invisible, ethereal spirit that will one day be justified. I get in. The Father says, welcome to my party. A small gospel has caused us to be the kind of people who could be saved, yet still failing. Because the gospel isn't really about today. It really isn't about my body. It really isn't about my choices. It really isn't about my family. It really isn't about anything other than something that I'm not even entirely responsible for. That's a small gospel. It doesn't affect my current life. And it certainly doesn't affect my past. And I've always wondered this, by the way. If we, if we have the faith to trust God for our future life, how in the world do we not have faith to trust Him for our present life? You ever thought about that? It's really bonkers to me. So that's one issue. We've mostly just encountered a small gospel. And then another issue is this. I don't know if you guys have ever encountered this, but I know I have. I'm saved. Most of you guys in the room are saved. But I think I may have gotten a little more saved this morning. 
Do you know what I mean? Now, some people are getting really upset. What? It's the finished work of the cross, brother. You don't even know what you're... Yeah, maybe you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm just joking, by the way. I'm not... No, but... Yeah, how many of you, how many of you have, have, like, met the Lord and, like, you really met the Lord and you walked with Him and then, like, five years after you really met the Lord, He began to move in your life and you, it was almost like you got introduced to a person you didn't even know. Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me all the time. Why? Because life is really complicated. Uh, we're really complicated. We're a really complicated mix. We've already talked about that this morning. There are so many layers to the human life it's so crazy. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is we, we meet Jesus. And a lot of times what we end up doing is we meet him to the extent of what we've actually been presented. More of this small gospel thing. We were presented a Jesus who could take care of the hell problem. But we had no idea that he could take care of my porn addiction. I had no idea. And then we end up finding out that there's actually, are you kidding me? There's freedom from porn? <laughs> and then you get a little bit and you're like dang i'm brand new this is great i had no idea and then you walk around and you're like well i got the i got the hell problem taken care of and i got the porn problem taken care of and then about three years later you didn't even know this it was true the whole time you had no idea you find out that you're a jerk <laughs> well how do i know this because all of this has happened to me i was like eight years into this thing and i'm like I'm a selfish bastard. I had no idea. I was totally clueless. I was really selfish. Uh, yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. But anyway, so offensive. Uh, yeah, sorry. If it offended you, I really am sorry. My email address is adam at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can contact me there. But anyway, but I found out that I found out I was really selfish, really selfish, and, and the Lord began to touch me, and we're still working on that one. Like, I still need Him to save me in that spot, you know? Um, I still realize that apart from cooperating with Him, that I'm the kind of person, given a moment of levity, that will choose myself over my wife and children. And I'm still learning that. You know what? And it was true for years. And I was totally clueless. about it. I was like, well, I'm not going to hell. I don't have to worry about porn. Totally great. Saved. Jerk. Yeah. Yeah, and one of these years he's going to deliver me from cussing. Just one thing at a time, though. Praise him. <laughs> yeah the Methodists have a word for this whole thing I'm talking about they call it sanctification but it's just the layer and it's the layer and his salvation begins to move into rooms that you didn't even know you had he begins to move into rooms that you weren't allowing him to come in you know I remember when I remember when the Lord first moved into my money room and I was like dang that was I was trying to wall that one off you know I, I fortified the money room I'm like you can have my heart, you can have my life, you can have, just stay out of my money room, you know? And then he moved into my money room, he took it over. I didn't even realize it, that keeping Jesus out of my money room was screwing up my life. 
Yeah, I got saved. I, I've been saved like 97 times so far. <laughs> I really have. Actually, probably a lot more than that. So, yeah. Can you be born again and still be cursed? Well, heck yeah, you can be born again and still be cursed. If you believe a little gospel, if you don't let Jesus move into the rooms of your life, like all of them, how do I know that? I know that because uh, it works on my computer. That was an abstract thought, wasn't it? <laughs> Random. I'm going to enjoy a beverage, and I'll let you figure that out for a moment. I'm getting the cotton mouth. Ah. <laughs> I always know the Lord's here when I start talking in strange voices. <laughs> <laughs> I feel free. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I learned this. Bobby taught me this one. He didn't even know he was teaching it to me. But you can, you can be a totally born-again believer and still be like, still be living under some curse. Because one time I let Bobby have my MacBook Pro, my MacBook. It wasn't a Pro yet, but it was just a MacBook. I, I gave it to Bobby, and it was all jacked up, and Bobby, like, did his Bobby magic on it. Did his voodoo on it, and when he, when he brought it back to me, he was like, oh, yeah, uh, I didn't tell you this, but I went ahead and loaded up the new, like, Snow Leopard software on there, and it's way cooler, you know? So I've got this Snow Leopard software on my computer. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, and there's, there's all these little features, and I keep bumping into little features for a few days, and then after a few days of bumping into new features, I kind of just, I wasn't bumping into new features anymore. I'm just, I'm like doing all the regular stuff I'd ever done on my, on my Apple computer. And then about three weeks later, I found another new feature. I'm like, what? That was on there? Have you all ever experienced this? It was on there the whole time, but I didn't know about it, right? Yeah. Small gospel. It's in there the whole time. We just don't know about it. It's only as good to the extent that we know and accept and use it. Bring it into my life. Mm-hmm. so small gospel and just that heart that is continually opening up to Jesus all the rooms and letting him save every room because here's the thing we're like radically we're the kind of people who are I'm so I'm no longer surprised I used to be but I'm not anymore we are so incredibly capable of compartmentalizing our life like it is it is insane how divided and dissolved we can live you know and if jesus isn't in a room in your house then he's just not in that room like you can if you want to be lord over that little box he'll let you be lord over that little box you can be responsible for all the outcomes so small gospel the tendency for us to live divided dissolved compartmentalized lives gospel is new software on our computer and until we get in there and explore we oftentimes don't know what's possible and then another reason you can or another way to talk about it anyway in terms of breaking out of curse and into blessing is that there's just this thing, and it's all the way through Scripture, and it's really, really clear in the New Testament that faith always lays hold of more. You know? I mean, there's, there, there's an aspect of, to walking with God that is just reserved for people who will reach out and grab some things in faith. 
And I'm not talking about like name it and claim it weirdness and, you know, God, I went out and bought a Cadillac and some shiny alligator boots. (laughs) I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about that, like, I'm just talking about that there's an aspect of of God's blessing and there's an aspect of, (laughs) come on, Marcus, I feel you. But there's an aspect of, of the goodness of God that, that, that is reserved for the person who is really desperate and in faith, tracks Jesus down, grabs the hem of his garment, and asks for more. You know? I mean, that woman would have bled to death, except she pressed through a crowd and grabbed hold of the edge of his garment. She didn't even tell him about it, you know? And there's an aspect of the goodness of God that is, that is available only for the people who, are, who will run after nothing else and say you know what there my dad was crazy but i'm not going to be crazy i'm going to press into something incredibly difficult i'm going to press through a crowd and i'm going to grab hold of something there's a part of the gospel that's just that's that's it like there's some things you can only get by just plowing through some people in love and grabbing (laughs) jesus We're not going to be able to put this message up, are we? <laughs> I'm feeling it. Um, see, here's the deal. Because if we believe salvation is only about our future, we may settle for being cursed in the present. That's a pretty good word. Yeah, if we think salvation is only about the future, what may someday happen to us in another time and place, then we may, be settled, we may settle with being cursed here today. You realize Jesus, it was never his, Jesus' intention for that woman to die with a bleeding issue. It was not his intention. Not his intention. There's an aspect of her heart that has to come into us and say, God, I will not settle for what I've been given by my family in a negative sense. I will, I will go and grab something new. All right? So, okay. Said all that to get here to the home stretch here. And let's talk about getting free. Well, number one, how do we get free? Number one, you've got to be aware that you need to be free. If you don't think that you don't need to be free, then you can go on not being free. So awareness is really a key. Awareness is really a key. It's like that thing where I was re- just woke up one morning and realized I wasn't a good person. This was after I already knew Jesus. So awareness is key. Number two, uh, it's really great to confess and repent. How do, you break, how do you break generational failure off your life? Well, just confess it and, re- and repent. Like, Jesus showed up. I love it. The bark. The, bark. the book of Mark. The bark. <laughs> but the book of Mark kicks off with Jesus, like, man, knocking the doors down. And, and as soon as Jesus shows up preaching, he shows up with a real simple message. You should repent because the kingdom of heaven is breaking out. You know? If the kingdom of heaven is showing up, the only reasonable response is just to repent. Get in line, you know? And so there's an aspect of being free that comes from confession and repentance. It seems so old. It seems so tired. It seems so worn out. And actually, it's the pathway to life. It really is. You know, uh, John Wimber used to say that the way in is the way on. Like, how you got in is how you'll stay in and how you'll stay in happy. Like, you know, sometimes we, we live this Christian thing and after a few years we're like, man, it used to be cooler. Now it's kind of lame. Well, it's, most of the time it's just because we're not doing the things we used to do. You know, like when I first came in and it was so hot and awesome, it was because like I was uh, living from a real contrite spot in my heart. And I was telling the Lord, I need you to touch me here because I'm a jerk. Jesus, would you come? And Jesus is like, 
I'll answer that prayer. I'll come and be with you, and I'll give you my presence. And then there's this flaming heart thing that happens. But after a year or two, that goes down, and I figure I've already done the repentance thing. You only do that once anyway. I shook his hand. I said the prayer, repented, and went under the water, and it's all good. Well, (laughs) just go back and do it again, you know? So there's something about confession. So number one, we need to become aware. Number two, to the extent that this stuff is active in our life, Let's just confess it to the Lord, and to the extent that we're a player, or to the extent that anyone in our family has been a player, let's just repent. Even if granddaddy is dead in the grave, and if he was an absolute snake of a man, let's just be real kind and generous, and let's just repent for granddaddy and say, Father, my granddaddy was a snake. Forgive him. Forgive everything. Forget everything. You're like, why? Because it's having an effect in my life. God, would you break the tie there? Break the tie. And so number three, you want to break ties, which means that you will not settle for less. That's what it really means. You know, we don't have to have like super spiritual language of, you know, and I bond and you don't have to do, you just have to say, God, God, I'm aware that some things in my family have made me or have led to me not being able to make great choices in some areas. My granddaddy was a snake. God, would you forgive our whole family line of being total wicked, angry snakes? And God, I'm not willing to settle for less. See, it's, that's how I would talk to God. You can talk to God any way you want. But one, become aware. Number two, confess and repent. Number three, We've got to break ties, and, which means we're not going to settle for less. And then number four, this is real important. You can do this over yourself, but especially when you're praying for someone, let's don't just break ties and leave them there. Let's speak a blessing, all right? So let's just bless, bless them in the opposite way, whatever that means, you know? I bless you to joy apart from being completely blitzed, drunk out of your mind. I bless you to joy that has nothing to do with alcohol whatsoever. I bless you to know the love of God that is better than wine. That's what the scripture says. So you just turn it around. It's really amazing. Most people have never received this kind of stuff, and it's really transformational. So number one, awareness. Number two, confess and repent. Number three, break ties. Number four, speak blessing. And then number five, you've got to abide in him. This is what Psalm 91 says. It says the only safe place is in his care for the person who will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, right? What does abide mean? It means live there. It means set up your house there. It doesn't mean compartmentalize life. It doesn't mean I'm going to go there on Sundays for two hours. I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to go home guilt free. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that God has become my whole life. I'm going to set up the tent of my life, the house of my life, in the shadow of his wings. I'm going to do only those things that, are, that make sense in God's house, in God's presence, in God's life. It's, it's a full-on commitment to the good kind of life which is with God. Amen? So number one, can't remember. Awareness, number two, confess and repent. Number three, break ties. Number four, speak a blessing over that person. Because words create realities. You realize that? Words create realities. Like we're here because God said it. I mean, that's just all there is to it. We could do some more there, but we'll have to say that for another day. And then number five, abide in Him. Make Psalm 91 the the goal of your life. Something I did a long time ago. I, I just I, I was in my office one day and I said, God, my goal is Psalm 91. The whole thing. I want to I want to abide in your presence. I want you to tuck me under your under your wing. It's a good place to be, by the way. Because he says, I mean, there's some crazy promises in Psalm 91. He says in Psalm 91 that like a thousand people can get whacked on your right and then ten thousand on your left, and it won't come near you. That means that you could be involved in a natural disaster that kills 11,000 people 
and it won't come near you. That's the way I think about this passage anyway. <laughs> yeah, I make my life in it. <laughs> yeah. Amen? Somebody say amen. All right, go away. If you're on the ministry team this morning, please come up front now.